All right, crew, we're going to get going. Um, so welcome back to LTC. We've been, well, last week, we had last week after spring break, but we are going further and further into more practical stuff here in LTC. And, and today we're looking at um, something that typically is, is the area in LTC or in leadership that everybody's a little nervous about or anxious about. And that's the idea of outreach. Sharing your faith, evangelism. Um, typically on our campus, you know, pictures of hellfire and brimstone preachers on the stump or people with giant signs or just someone annoying someone else is sort of the picture that we think of. And we're like, I don't know if I want to be that person. I don't know if I want to share that way. I'm not sure if I'm equipped or eloquent enough. I've talked to my friends in my class and they seem to have all these arguments I've never heard of. And so what do I do about outreach? And broadly today, uh, we're gonna, we're gonna go into kind of three areas. One, we're gonna just spend a little time looking at, just talking about Jesus. You know, what are some core ideas that we see in his life and his ministry? Um, we're gonna talk about some principles of outreach that we like to highlight in the outpost. And then we're gonna get into some just real tangible, practical steps in doing ministry, but reaching out to our friends, our peers. The, the amazing thing about campus ministry, and I, maybe I've shared this before, but um, in the study of missiology or the study of missions, university students on the university campus, especially actually even in America, are argued to be the most uh, strategic, the campus ministry in the United States is the most strategic mission field. Um, the, the fact that in college, the entire world is shaping um, for tomorrow, the culture of tomorrow, the values of tomorrow. What you do with Jesus is going to be largely decided in college. And so, and so it's an incredible time, a really impactful time uh, for you to learn to share your faith, to, to reach out to people. And what we're asking of you to do in leadership is essentially we, we have a methodology we say, Jesus said, go and make disciples, like you, go make disciples. He didn't say, outpost, make disciples. So we don't even do much of an attractional approach, although that's not bad, and we, and we do some of that. But, but we're, our emphasis, our thrust is on about helping you be the most effective disciple maker that you can be. And the way that we go about that is kind of in three parts, and we'll, we'll get into some of this, but essentially uh, we talk about kind of three steps that people uh, need to take in small group leading. And one is they need to find people, they need to fight for people, and then they need to feed people. And, and what we're emphasizing most today is kind of that find and fight part of small group leading. You have to go out there and find people. We don't find people for you. Um, it just doesn't work that way for one. I think Jesus' methodology when he tells his disciples, go and make disciples, is, hey, you individually, you personally, you minister into your world. That means you have to actually look around. You actually have to be aware. You have to find uh, people. And in our cities, uh, in our city here, Fort Collins, in our state, in Colorado, there is, you know, there's just not a ton, percentage-wise, there's just not a ton of witnesses. And people, as a, as a general rule, these are overgeneralizations by far, but in our culture, people are not seeking out 
the church. They're not seeking out Christian community. They're not looking for that. I, I was just at a Kyle a couple weeks ago that is in a very different part of the country, and they actually were able to do some things that just probably wouldn't work here because, because they put up a contact table and like they'll have like almost 3,000 names within the first week because people are looking for them, and they're looking to get involved in Christian community, and they're looking for these things. But in our culture, it's, it's strange. Why would I do that? It, it's sort of like, you know, why, if you had some kind of situation in your life, you're looking for community, if you graduated and went off to another city, you know, would you go to the Buddhist temple to look for a community? Would you go to, you know, I don't know what other kind of random thing you, you know, you probably wouldn't even think about going to the Hindi temple or going to the Buddhist thing or the, or the Islamic um, Moss, you know, you, you wouldn't even think about doing that. Uh, even if you weren't a Christian, you probably wouldn't think of doing that. Why would I go there? What do they have to offer my life? And in a general rule, in our kind of post-Christian culture, uh, the world looks at Christianity that way. Like, why would I want that? Why would I go there? And there's there's another conversation that we could have about basically creating culture or creating values. Um, but values are created. You value something because you've seen it. You've seen something, and it's valuable to you. It was valuable in the eyes of someone else. It was valuable in someone that you valued. Um, and I, you know, I laughed the first time. I'm old enough. They actually just uh, changed my status recently, I guess, in, uh, in uh, generations. I used to be a millennial. I am no longer a millennial. Um, they decided to change. There's like four years that they said it's like a, we're a train, we're an in between generation, we're a transient generation. Um, and so I was born in '82, and millennials used to be like I think '81 till pretty much 2000 or something around there. And uh, they said you know around '78 to '83, there's this like strange little pocket where you're kind of in between. Uh, you still remember what it was like. Uh, not to have technology. And I remember when my parents brought home the first you know, home computer and it was CDOS and there was like this silly games that we could play, but there was like very, I mean, low brain, low anything. And then you know, I went to college and a few rich students had cell phones, but why would I have a cell phone? And you know, I don't need a cell phone. And then a few of my other friends got cell phones, a few more, and then all of a sudden I was like, oh, I gotta have a cell phone, I have to live with it, you know, I can't. I had some girl that liked me in Chi Alpha, started texting me, and I was like, why would someone text? Like, just give me a call. It was like, you know, like little buttons, and more smartphones, right? And like, these little buttons late night, trying to like, I'm so frustrated, just call me. You know, right? So, I remember like, working through these like, experiences, you just kind of grew up with it, you're so used to it. But I remember the first time I saw an iPhone, and I remember looking at this iPhone and thinking, well, that is just silly. Why would I spend $800 to something that I could do on my laptop? Much easier, much better. That's just, that's just silly, right? You know, and then I had two friends get an iPhone, because there was not smartphones, it was just iPhone at first, right? Was, that was all it was. And so then the second, you know, and then it was like, let me see that thing. And I kind of messed around with it. That's kind of a, it's like a cool party trick. And then three or four or five of my friends started getting iPhones. This is like becoming a thing. And before I knew it, I was like, I have to have a smartphone, right? I have to, my life. You know, now, 
if I leave my phone home while I go to the grocery store, I'm like panicking. I'm like, oh no, I'm not gonna know the kids. Like I'm gonna you know, like look at like you know my options if I go down to Walmart versus King Super. You know, I, I just my whole life is like. But we value what we've experienced and what we've seen. And for so many people, they're like that guy. They're like me. First time I saw an iPhone. It might be beautiful. It might be awesome. It might be you know the Christian life. Jesus might be attractive. But they don't think he's attractive. That's the thing about in our world. Everybody's looking for Jesus. They just don't realize it's Jesus they're looking for. Everybody's looking for him. They just have a misunderstanding of him. They don't see his intrinsic worth, his intrinsic value, his intrinsic beauty. And we have to show it to them. If we don't show it to them, they're never going to know. Because why would I care? about that antiquated, outdated, backwards community called Christian. And so we have to be people who are intentionally um, ministering to our campus because we don't want just to be some kind of holy huddle. If we were trying to be a holy huddle, I would not be here. I mean, let, let the churches have anybody that wants to show up on a Sunday morning show up on a Sunday morning. I mean, they've got better facilities and better... You know, why are we on this campus trying to empower you guys to do stuff? Um, I mean, I, you know, I talk to pastors all the time. It's, it's just, you know, they're just like fascinated almost by the idea of like what you guys get to do. It's like, I'm ministering to, you know, people from Saudi Arabia and then you're like talking to an atheist <coughs> hanging out with the, like your roommates who are just trying to figure out how to live out their faith in college. And then you're, you know, it's the, the diversity of what you're being called to do. I mean, it's, it's really cool. Really exciting. In fact, if the university campus is the most strategic mission field, then it's the student who is the most strategic missionary in college. And so for a few short years, you have the opportunity to be the most strategic missionary in the world. Um, kind of a cool thought. And that maybe overwhelms you. I don't know if I'm equipped. I don't know if I'm ready. It's okay. We're here to help, but there's one maxim that we use that God doesn't call the equipped. He equips the called as you step out. In your faith, God begins to walk with you and lead you. But um, we want to talk through some of some of this idea of of outreach today, and just kind of in a big picture. We're going to hone it into the practical. But what does it look like to reach out to my campus, to reach out with the love of Christ uh, to my world, to my university? Now. Um, Couple of things. Couple of things. What what are ways that Jesus reached out? If you guys could just kind of uh, share with me, popcorn out, just some thoughts. But what are some ways that Jesus um, reached out to his world? He healed the sick. He healed the sick, yeah. Yep, yeah, absolutely. Preached in the synagogue. Yep, yep. Yeah, he ministered. He ministered um, within the religious system of the day. Yeah. Building relationships. Building relationships. Yeah. Yeah, that's key. Yeah. Okay. Um, where they were. What's that? They met. He met them where they were. Where? Yeah. Exactly. That's good. Um, good. 
people in the little places. In this world, there's no one that is too small, no place too far for God. Cool. Other thoughts? Cool. That's good. There's um, a couple of a couple of things that we're looking at here is. Uh, and this is just kind of popcorn too, just core ideas. But Jesus, everything that he was, everything that he did um, that we know of seems to revolve around him trying to draw people, and we talked about this a couple weeks ago, but trying to draw people close to him and trying to draw people close to his God. Everything he did was relational. You know, here's, here's one of the things people tend to kind of like Balk out a little bit. It's like, well, I don't want to have an agenda. I just want to be friends. It's like, guess what? Friendship is an agenda. Every person who's lonely has an agenda. Every person who's trying to talk to you has an agenda. The question is, is your agenda relational or is your agenda organizational? And when it comes to the kingdom of God, we have an agenda. But our agenda is relational. It's about trying to draw people into a relationship with us and a relationship with our God. That's what we talked about a couple weeks ago. Everything is an emulation, is, a, is an expression of the triune relationship, the relationship that God has within himself. And so we have an agenda. That's just the reality. But our agenda, if our agenda becomes organizationally focused, and it can be easy to start doing this as a slogger player. If your agenda starts to become organizational, you're getting off center. Right. My agenda is to get you to my weekly meeting. My agenda is to get get you know a few more guys into my quote unquote small group. Get you know you know to get you into this structure, or this organization, to get you in a large group. Right? All those things serve the agenda of that relationship because what we talked about a couple weeks ago, relationship is about that that intimate brotherhood, sisterhood, trinity relationship expression. Um, and so I'm pushing for that. But we have an agenda. Everybody has an agenda. Um, is your agenda a good one? Or is it not? But Jesus had an agenda. He was constantly pushing people into these places of, of deep relationship with, with uh, his God and with himself. Um, and so Jesus had layers of discipleship. I'm, I'm just kind of highlighting a couple of things, and we're going to get into some principles here. But Jesus had some layers to outreach. Um, and, and it's important to real, remember this or realize this. There are layers to outreach. Um, again, the weekly meeting is not small group. Your life is small group. Our job, our goal for you is to make you into a minister who is just loving his campus or her campus, who is sharing the love of Christ in every opportunity, in every situation, in every, in every relational interaction that you have to try to draw people into a relationship with you and with your God. That, that as you minister, Jesus created those layers. And he had multitudes. He, re, he ministered to the multitudes. He was in the synagogues. He was up on the, uh, you know, he was up on the, uh, in the hill country. He was, he was hanging out 
with Peter in the boat as he was preaching you know, from the seashore because it made an acoustic effect on, you know, he's preaching to all these people. Right, he, he preached to anyone and everyone he could about the kingdom of God. And he was interacting with anyone and everyone he could. I mean, any opportunity he had seemed like he was ministering. You know, Zacchaeus is up in the tree. It's like, you just seem like a funny guy. Let's hang out. All right, you know, he grabbed lunch with him. He's, he's talking um, to, he's got the demoniac up on the seashore. He's, he's dealing with the demoniac. He's ministering to this guy. Any opportunity he has, he's trying to get them into this place where they're drawing close to him and or to his God. But not everyone has the same priority in his life. I mean, if he had the multitudes, he would have been overwhelmed. I mean, how many people could, you know, could he really pour into? But he was constantly pouring into deeper and deeper layers of people. So he went from the multitudes. And then we have this group called the 70 that we actually see. Um, this, the 70 were, were articulated as disciples. They did not seem to have the same a depth of relationship with Jesus that the 12 had, but the 70 has this title. They had this context of, of walking out life with Jesus. They were pursuing him. He was pouring into them, and he gave them responsibility. He sent them out, and he sent them in front of him to go and do ministry, and he gave them responsibility of you know, doing all kinds of healing and casting out the demonic and all kinds of stuff like that was going on. And so you see that, but then within the 70, of course, we know uh, Christian uh, tradition had, you know, highlights strongly the 12, and, and the Gospels highlight that the 12 he picked out. And so you have these guys who are just, you know, everywhere with him, and wholly devoted in, in time and energy and focus are just with him 24-7. But even within the 12, there seems to be clear articulation that there was three within the 12 that were even more emphasized. Um, sometimes the 12 weren't with him, but the three Peter, James, and John were. You see that like on Mount Transfiguration and other times. But but then you also have this one guy that seems to have been the closest to him, and that was Peter. And so Jesus layers his his priority in his life. Um, and and what we what seems to be going on is is Jesus keeps pushing people or drawing people closer and closer into relationship with him as they have desire for that relationship. So he's prioritizing them based on their desire for that kingdom relationship, for that kingdom interaction. And sometimes it seems like Jesus has got too many people that are trying to follow him, so he starts to kind of up the ante even. Right? You, you see this time when, when there's this crowd and he starts talking, and uh, he starts talking about the sacrament. <laughs> and, I mean, Jesus clearly is talking in a way that, like, Everybody's confused, right? It's just like, you're, I'm supposed to drink your blood? That just <laughs> sounds weird and pagan, and I don't really know. But instead of pressing in and seeking him out and really pursuing Jesus, a lot of them just walked away. But the 12, Jesus looked at them and said, are you going to leave too? And they said, who has the words of life with you? Right, he's, he's, he keeps kind of upping the ante, and you know, sometimes the teachings get seemingly more and more uh, intense as, as we see Jesus ministering to the world, but he's pushing them. He's pushing them into this truer relationship with him and with his God. He's constantly pushing them to a truer expression of that relationship. Right, Jesus 
tells us this, this disciples are constantly arguing, like, who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus, you know, he basically leaves them thinking, like, you know, I could be the greatest, or I could be the greatest. So he challenges them. He starts challenging the way that they go about that. Um, all right. Um, and Robert Coleman, if you do not have this book, if you've never read this book, this is a great book. You should read this before you become a smarter reader. A few people, but Robert Coleman's The Master's Plan of Evangelism, uh, he says this, a few people so dedicated in time, um, no, I'm just kidding myself. A few people so dedicated in time will shake the world for God. Victory is never won by the multitudes. And so we just see Jesus constantly pushing people, um, prioritizing people in deeper and deeper layers as they have this seemingly desire. Peter is the one that always seems to be the most sold out, the most passionate. Right? And he also seems to be the one that's closest to Jesus. There's this, there's this constant fact. Um, so sometimes people talk about uh, methods must change. The message should never change. Message should never change, methods change. Which is true, because uh, if, we, if we were to do the method of Jesus exactly the way that he did it, um, I, I don't know how that would look. You know, I mean, it'd be like me and Brent or Jacob or something like telling you guys to quit your college careers and go hang out with us while we're up at Forest Tooth preaching to whoever come around, which is probably just the sheep and goats. So, you know, we, we don't, we can't quite replicate the methodology exactly. Um, but I think we sometimes are amiss when we throw his method out completely. We need to realize that, the, that when God shows a method, it probably is a pretty good baseline by which we work. Right? And so we want to look at just a few things. Um, a few things within Jesus' method, or the core attributes of Jesus' method. Again, we're just kind of pressing from more conceptual into the practical. But one, and somebody I think actually said this, uh, maybe Emmy or somebody, but uh, he pursued. Uh, again, master plan, Robert Coleman. Christian disciples are sent men and women, sent out to the same work of world evangelism to which the Lord was sent, and for which he gave his life. Um, Jesus came to us because we could not go to him. Jesus came to us because we couldn't go to him. Here is God in heaven. Here we are on earth. Even if we wanted to, we probably, even if we could, we probably wouldn't have wanted to. Because again, we had not experienced him in a way that would have drawn desire, created value in our eyes for him. And so he came to us. And we need to recognize that we need to be people who are passionately, intensely, intentionally pursuing. This is not an attractional ministry, and you are not an attractional minister. You are someone who is, has the attraction of Christ in your life, for sure. But your job is to go to them. Your job is to go to them, because they don't want to come to you. So you need to minister in their world and reach out to them. We'll, we'll probably get to some of that here in a little bit. But... You need to reach out to them. So just pursue. Learn to pursue. Learn to pursue well. Um, we, that's one of the great challenges. One of the great challenges for the Christian faith is we need to be people 
who know how to pursue well the world that is not pursuing us anymore. Um, what core attributes of Jesus' method? Doing life together. Now, there's probably all kinds of, of extrapolations that we can make in Jesus' life. These are just a few core thoughts here. Doing life together. It's good to tell people what we mean, but it's infinitely better to show them. People are looking for a demonstration, not an explanation. And your, your core uh, methodology in discipleship needs to be around, revolving around this idea of doing life with people. Again, your life is uh, discipleship. It is your small group. Um, other things, the structures, one-on-one, small group, large group, all those things come to serve um, that ongoing ambition. But the ambition is to draw people close to God and to you, and to our, so into the community. Um, but we, our primary method should be doing life uh, together. All right. Um, just this obvious stuff of modeling the relationship with God. Jesus didn't just teach his disciples how to pray. Uh, he didn't just teach his disciples how to reach out. He ministered in front of them. And then he invited them to go minister to others. And, and we need to model relationship with God um, in the same way. Uh, there's, maybe I'm getting ahead of myself, but there's, there's sort of a core, this is, this is in discipleship more than evangelism or outreach per se, although the two, I don't see the two as separate personally, but um, I do, you watch, then I do, you help. Then, you do, I help. Then you do, I watch. It's a basic breakdown of discipleship in anything of, of how we go about raising people up into spiritual maturity in any area of faith. Um, I need to pray, and you can watch my prayer life, and then you're going to join in into my prayer life, and then maybe I'm going to ask if I could hang out with you in your prayer life, and then, and then I'm just going to watch you grow in your, your walk with the Lord. And outreach, Jesus you know, calls people like, hey, disciples, follow me, watch me minister to my world. Then I'm going to have you help me, right? Um, now, at some level, you know, he calls out the 70 to go out, and they're helping him in what he's doing. Um, and you could say that in that area, that, that stays there. Uh, that would be true. Although you could also argue, when you look and start doing things like acts and stuff, God doesn't seem to always be very clear on how to go about it, but we do see God is always helping. Paul is trying to go to Asia, um, and God tells him, hey, you actually should go over to Europe. That's, the, that's where the fertile soil is right now. But, but uh, it is interesting that Paul is trying to make plans to go to Asia because God wasn't always telling him step by step what to do, but God was helping him 
because he was taking on the calling of God had called him to. So in, in discipleship, um, we need to be modeling, we need to be doing, not just teaching. Um, you need know, to push people. Um, and again, pushing people to what? Pushing people to your God and to yourself. Pushing people to, to grow in those things. To, um, you know, sometimes you have to care more about their future, even than their friendship. That's, that's sometimes a, uh, an attribute of, of ministering is that uh, they're, they're, we're comfortable not pursuing after God. And it's when someone who I love and who loves me speaks in my life and challenges me in, a, in an honoring and uplifting way, challenges me and pushes me. You know, they become like a, a coach in my life that pushes me to, to, to hone in and to claim my potential in, in my life. And we need to constantly be cheerleaders and coaches guiding and pushing people to greater walks with the Lord. Um, Certainly, Jesus was authentic, right? If Jesus wasn't authentic, you know, his disciples wouldn't be following him for very long, would they? <laughs> you know, it's like, this guy talks about being godly, but we, because he's living life. That's what's scary about the idea of living life with people, doing that. That's why it's so easy in ministry to try to delineate yourself a little bit. Because I like to preach at you and tell you what you should do, but if you really saw me, I don't know if you would listen. And so we, we delineate that. But what we don't realize is that's actually hurting us. Um, I was just, I was telling the resource group this, this afternoon, I, I have a friend, Robinson, who's from India. And we had a conversation a couple of weeks ago. It's just been stirring in my head. Uh, he, he's from India. He was born in a Christian family, grew up, gave his life to the Lord himself. Uh, his dad's even a pastor. But he, it was when he came into the U.S., got involved with Kaiapa, he began to realize uh, what it meant to really live for the Lord and what it really meant to have brothers and sisters in his life. When I asked him why, what happened that changed that, he said, I saw authentic community for the first time. And I'm like, you came from a communal society. He said, yeah, but the honor-shame thing in my culture means... You know, economically, we all live in small homes, so it looks communal, but we are all hiding our true selves from each other. And he said, I came into Kaapa, and the thing that changed everything for me was I saw my leaders, who I actually got to see them in their family life, and in their rec time, and in their ministry time. And I saw them in all of these different facets. I was invited into these different aspects of their life, and I realized they're the same everywhere they are. Not perfect, but they're the same. And they're authentic, but they're real. And that challenged him. So it took him, he said it took him like years. It started to break down that facade that he had built up in his life for those years. And it took him years to begin to embrace that because he was so trained in his, in his mind not to let people in. But it was so beautiful, it was so attractive he just couldn't get away from it, and he kept being drawn into the community in deeper and deeper ways because he wanted uh, what he saw. And certainly Christ, it's easy for us to say, yeah, Jesus could be authentic. He's the Son of God. There's nothing bad to see. But 
But certainly he let the disciples see him in his strength and in his weakness. The disciples saw him say, you know, when the, when the soldiers came up to Jesus, they said, are you Jesus? Are you? And Jesus said, it's really funny, it's really fascinating. He says, I am, which if you understand the concept of that, that phrase, there, that's actually an articulation of divinity uh, back to Moses in the, in the bush. Where he says, I am, and they all fall over. <laughs> like, I mean, he just speak, and people just are like, like, they didn't take him away without his own volition, right? I mean, there's... But, at the same time, right before that, what's going on? He's in the Garden of Gethsemane. And they see him in his weakness, weeping and lamenting and crying out to God, don't make me do this. And they see him bleeding because, the, and biologically, they've, they've shown that in moments of extreme, the, only the most extreme forms of, of stress and anxiety, um, the body actually will actually begin, the, the tissue, the cell at the cellular level will start to break down wow. and you can actually start bleeding uh, through your, your pores. And um, he was at such extreme stress, he, they saw him. They saw him in his weakness, they saw him in his strength. Um, and he was open and vulnerable with them. We need to be too. All right. Um, so let's talk about um, let's talk about principles of outreach. Um, okay. Yeah. Let's talk about principles of outreach. We're gonna kind of hightail it through some of this, and we're gonna get to some of the practicals before you know it. But principles of outreach, uh, just, just kind of broad picture, looking at some of the big picture things that we see in Jesus' uh, methodology in reaching out to the world, pursuing people, living life with people, that kind of thing. Um, let's, let's look at just, just some principles that we kind of work from. Some of these are kind of maxims that we use in Chi Alpha on a regular basis. But just some core principles when you're thinking through this big picture wise, what are some things that we should be honed in on in reaching out in our world? Um, of course, we, I've talked to you about a couple weeks ago, uh, this is not an absolute. If the Holy Spirit speaks to you, don't ignore the Holy Spirit for the sake of my art of wisdom. But as a general rule, Jesus certainly prioritized people and, and one of the ways that we try to articulate how do you choose how to invest or who to invest into? Um, they need to want either you, Jesus, or your community, and they need, they need to be okay with you, Jesus, and your community. They need to want one of those. They don't have to want all three of those. But if they're not even okay with Jesus being around, I'm sorry, if you're not okay with my wife being around, I can't be friends with you. Because she's just my wife. And Guess what? That's a deal breaker for me. In the same way, my God, you don't have to want him. You don't even have to like him. I'm okay with that. But are you okay that he's going to be around if we're going to be friends? If you're not, we can't even get to that point. So it's just, a, just some advice. Most people aren't ever going to love Jesus unless they're in the community, or at least not even in the community, but are at least open to the community being around um, if they're like, hey, I want to be friends with you, 
I'm okay with you talking about Jesus, but I don't want anything to do with your community. Guess what? They're never going to want Jesus either. Um, and so you're never going to be able to have that kind of uh, kingdom relationship. That's not an absolute. I think there are clear exceptions to that rule, but it's a, it's a good principle to work from 95% of the time. Um, we talked about pursue. You need to go to them. Go to them. Uh, let them teach you something is a, is a good rule of thumb. Um, go, go to where people are. Get involved in what they like. Get involved in what they're into. Go into their world. And the world isn't going to come into our Christian community, at least not before we go to them. Ideally, go to them in community. That's the thing about Jesus' method that's so interesting to me. He brings his disciples with him everywhere he goes. He brings community with him, but he's always going to people where they are. And so, go to them. Some of our, some of our methodologies, kind of with that, you got a resource group, you'll have what we call a cohort, um, which is like a group of like uh, three or so people that are also small group leaders, um, and you guys are there to try to help each other uh, kind of do it together. Uh, as much as, as possible, so you're you're ministering and reaching out um, together in, in some level of community there. Uh, look to pour your life into fat people. We love fat people, um, and that's not to be derogatory anyway. But it is just an easy to remember acronym. Uh, stands for faithful, available, and teachable. Faithful, available, and teachable. Um, so if the baseline is, hey, they need to be okay with these three things, this is like core of like within this group of people that are okay with these three things, who do I, how do I prioritize people within that category, uh, within that layer? And faithful, available, teachable people is a great baseline to work from. Um, if they're not faithful, uh, if they're not available, you just like I have time with them. If they're not teachable, um, you're not going to be able to go anywhere with them. So I look for those people. Uh, I think we already did that one, right? Go to them. Um, daily create a kingdom connection. And that's just, this is just a, a principle. This is just a, a habit or a, a challenge for you. Every day, create at least one kingdom connection. And when I say kingdom connection, I mean someone that you are not just maintaining a relationship, but actually drawing someone closer to you or closer to your God. It's just a base, a basic baseline. Everybody can do this. If you did this, though, every day, every day, it's amazing. You know, it's kind of the tortoise and the hare kind of thing, right? The hare can, like, win anytime it wants to, but it's too lazy to. Sometimes there's a lot that we could do if we were just had it. A consistent uh, baseline of outreach, right? I always think it's funny after you know New Year's, everybody like tons of people are suddenly back in the gym, right? They're working out for like a you know two weeks, and then I never see them again in the gym. Um, the The goal is not intensity; it's consistency, right? You're gonna get stronger because you find now you always want to keep pushing yourself, right? A little bit higher, but you want to push yourself in a, in the higher levels of consistency. You want to get to a place where this is what I can do on, a, on an ongoing basis. This is just kind of like a base. Like every day, connect with someone where you're drawing them closer to you or closer to your God. 
And that might be a one-on-one, -on -one, like a structure thing. It might be just like hanging out. It might be talking to that person in your classroom that you just have never talked to before. It might be, it might be as simple as just you know, sitting down with somebody that is sitting by themselves at the lunch table. Whatever it is, if every day you were just connecting with somebody on a deeper level, over time, you caught, you're, you're beginning to be a ministry. You're, caught, you're constantly ministering um, in every opportunity. And, and you just have to keep looking. Keep, always look. It's amazing. You know, I, I'm kind of in a funny place as a minister on a university campus. I have so many Christians around me. I just can't sometimes find philosophers around. You know, I'm like, I've got you know, my staff and my, you know, all you guys, student leaders, and then, you know, the community. And I'm like, I just want to find somebody that's like a you know, real lost person sometimes, right? And I'm, and, and, but I'm just looking. And I have a contractor right now who is 70. It's, it's wild. He's 70 years old. Um, he's a Vietnam vet. Um, has seen some inc incredibly horrific things in his life. He, he has a purple heart. He told me he watched a man get skinned alive from the waist down. Um, just stuff. Like, and I'm like, I am not qualified. His daughter is, is uh, he's kind of in a traumatic situation because his daughter uh, is addicted to drugs right now. His youngest daughter. And he's just kind of like, I don't know what to do. And I have had these opportunities. I actually had to sit down with him here just a couple weeks ago where we just talked about God and talked about you know, his daughter and tried to like be there for him. And I'm like, I am the most unqualified person for this. I'm used to like 20-year-olds debating, you know, you know, I had philosophy 101. I don't know if I believe in God. Okay, that's easy. But but now I've got this guy like, I saw things, I don't know what to do with them, right? I'm like, <laughs> but Jesus is good. And let's talk about why. And, and here's the thing. I am not equipped. But guess what? God doesn't call me equipped. He equips the call. And as I'm ministering. You know, I have this blood disorder. It's kind of comical. I have a blood disorder that uh, I, I have to donate blood on a regular basis. In fact, for a couple of years, I had to donate blood a pint every week. Um, which is a lot. And... Uh, and I was Iron Man, literally. I had, uh, I had about 30 times the amount of iron that you should have in your blood. Um, it would have killed me, but I just kept letting me great. And so I'm, you know, here I am, just sitting every week, you know, here, just letting these these gals every week. I have this, you know, standing appointments, and they're just, and I'm, and I'm having these opportunities to pray for different ones of them. And talk about the Lord with everyone. I mean, they're like draining my blood. And I'm like, I'm going to lay hands on you and just pray. You know, it's, it's hilarious when you know, the Lord just kind of opens up doors when you're looking. But are you looking? Every day, find a way to draw people close to your God and to you. Um, this one's a simple one. Fight in the opposite spirit. When you bring up the Lord, it's easy to get a little flustered. It's like, I don't know what to say. Or, or they get under your skin. Or they kind of laugh at you and whatever. Fight in, the opposite, fight in the opposite spirit, is the maxim we say. If someone is cynical, be generous, be gracious, be... Um, you get the idea. Don't, don't get angry. Jesus is love, and you should express love. And that's, that doesn't happen all the time, but I know it comes up. You know, you're sitting down with some guy you connected with, and they're going to tell you all the 
things that are not even true about why what you believe is stupid. And can, you can get flustered. Don't, don't do that. Just God doesn't need you to defend him. He just needs you to fight for them. Um, here's just a maxim I got through in there. Love and laughter plows hard hearts. Just a, a good um, principle to work from. Love and laughter. If you can express love to people, and you can laugh, laugh often with them, it's amazing how the friendship will grow and their openness to who you're about. Um, this is something from another book, be a great book for you to read sometime, but it's not the highest priority, but uh, called Orthodoxy. Um, but uh, but uh, Chambers in this book, Chambers, he, Chesterton. Chesterton, thank you. Um, Chesterton basically highlights this idea that in the world, we're used to working from the paradigm, I'm looking for something lovely to love. Right? Every single boy in here is like, oh, she's pretty, I can love her, right? No. And, and you're looking, the world looks for something lovely to love. The kingdom of God works in reverse. We were not lovely, and yet Christ's love, one, he loved us anyways. Two, that love transformed us into something lovely, and it continues to transform us into something lovely. Sometimes the people that you are going to minister to are not lovely. They're prickly, you know? Like, they're hard to get close to. They're just, there's, but can you love them sacrificially? Can you love them even when you don't get something in return? Even when you don't get anything back? That's the great, one of the things that overwhelms me about Christ's sacrifice is that he did it without any guarantee of return. He did it without, you know, he did this horrific thing, experience, and we don't, the cross itself is really almost a physical expression of what was really happening, which was far greater um, spiritually for him. And yet he took it all knowing that uh, many of us would continue to scorn him and reject him and deny him. Are you willing to love whether or not you get anything in return? Um, God doesn't call the equipped. He equips the called. We talked about that one. Uh, innovate only after you first imitate. It's just a, a good baseline like idea. Like don't come out like, okay, I'm going to try all these new things. Like I don't know if the outpost quite has this figured out, so I'm going to kind of do my own thing, and I'll, I'm going to figure out the discipleship thing uh, for me in my situation. First, Watch the small group leaders that, that are doing a good job. Watch your small group leader. Listen to your leaders. Listen to us. Start there. Let that be a baseline. I love innovation. Um, but start by doing what works. Imitate those <coughs> who are discipling well. And then learn to work from that baseline <coughs> in innovation. Uh, and that may come in a, any number of contexts or, or ways. Um, the church is looking for better methods. God is looking for better men. Inbound. Inbound. All right. 
Stop praying, God, use me. Start praying, God, make me usable. Thank you. That actually is uh, Reinhard Bonke. He does have a similar name and a similar <laughs> origin. Good. Um, yes, I, I have a friend who actually got to hear Reinhard Bonke uh, speak. If you don't know who that is, he's, he probably has seen more people do the salvation call than any person in history. I mean, uh, you know, Billy Graham actually has no comparison to Reinhard Bonke. Uh, he's more in Africa and stuff, which is where some of that came in. But, but uh, I had a friend who got to hear him say, and that was, that was he's, a, he's a German and, and just kind of, he's got that harsh German accent and stuff. He was just, stop, stop it, stop praying. God, use me. He said, pray, God, make me usable. He'll use you if you're usable, right? You know, it's just like, it's not, you don't have to convince God to, make, to use you. You do have to say, God, refine me. Make me into the vessel that, that can be used by you. All right. Um, live life on mission. Don't have mission in your life. This is, this is huge. You'll spend the next few years trying to figure this one out. But uh, don't compartmentalize God. Don't compartmentalize your mission in your life. Infuse it into everything you do. Love God in your studies, love God in your homework, love God in that annoying project, you know, love your professor, you know, Brent was talking about, you know, the whole thing, love your professor, even when they're just not, just not being rash, reasonable, and, you know, what, you know whatever, like, and, and love that person sitting next to you, and minister to that person in your world. We do have strategic times and places that we're going to ask you to try to partner with us, you know, door move-ins or, you know, reach out to the freshmen and they're, they're looking for community and, and maybe international students. There's, there's some strategic groups that we talk about, like, hey, there's, there's moments that we're really trying to get everybody to try to reach out to this group at this time. But overall, overarching, the majority of your life is going to be in your world. And we're wanting you to learn to do life, do ministry in your world. Minister to your world. And can I say this too? Don't worry about trying to build small group next fall. Start now. Just start ministering now. Start ministering in your world now. You start getting some people around you that you're just like doing life with a little more, then great. Then you'll have a few people to start small group with next fall. But you don't need to wait till then to do the Great Commission. Just start living life on mission. Can't give away what you don't have. So, yeah. Your devo life, your walk with the Lord, your prayer life. If you're dry, you have nothing to give. You can only give away what you have. So go deep with the Lord in your relationship with God. You can give Him away then. Pursue intensely, but come across casually. This is the last one here. Um, pursue intensely, but come come across casually. Uh, I just this is just one that. Uh, you know, you, you take this one with a grain of salt. But uh, um, <coughs> I remember when I first started dating Lindsay, I, I saw her, there's a long story to it, but I saw her at this, at this wedding. It was just like the second time that we had met. And we hit it off, we had a good conversation. It's like, man, I really like to take this girl out on a date. But I'm leaving tomorrow morning at 5 a.m. to across the state to go do a church service. And I'm spending time with my family all week. And then I'm going down to Colorado before the next Sunday for another church service. So what I had to do is I went 
home. I went and did the church service, and I went home, and I was home. And I'm like, uh, what am I going to do? I really want to ask this girl out, but there's absolutely no time. I'm going on a fishing trip with my dad, and I'm doing all this stuff, whatever. And I finally said, you know what? I'm just going to have to make it happen. So I, I get a hold of her. I get a hold of her on Facebook. I ask her for a number. Then I call her. I call her. I do call her. Guys, don't text. So. But, <laughs> just like, but I just asked for a number. I called her. I said, hey, I'm going to be in town on Friday. Would you like to go out Friday night? And I'm going to be in town. I just came up with an excuse to be in town. Right? I, I was like, oh, I didn't really get to see my aunt when I was at the wedding, so I'm going to go see her. So I told Lindsay, maybe you take this with a grain of salt. I don't know where the wisdom is. But I, I, I told Lindsay, like, I'm just coming into town to see my aunt, and I'd love to see you. Really, I was coming into town to see her and my aunt with my excuse. I actually never, I tried to see my aunt. It didn't actually even work. So I ended up just seeing Lindsay. But, but I drove, Did you try, what? Try and see her aunt. I did try to see my <laughs> I did try. I was, I was being honest, but I was definitely. And I saw this, and I'm like, man, if she knows what I'm doing, I just want to, I just want to be, you know, I want to try to be smooth. I'm not smooth. I'm trying to be kind of just chill. I don't want to be weird by being so intense about some girl I just met. But the only way I'm going to do it is by being intense. So I had to drive halfway across the state. I took her out. I drove back across the state that night. I slept for three hours at my folks' place, then drove for almost 24 hours straight to get to Southern Colorado to do a church service that Sunday morning. Got there at 7 a.m. They got me a hotel, but I used the hotel to shower, change, and then did a church service. I tried to play it off, you know, at the church service, but I was like, you know, exhausted 36 hours basically with like no sleep. And and I just like, you know. Get through the church service. They wanted to do potluck. I'm like, please let it end. <laughs> like, just, you know, I got through the potluck. I drove 20 minutes outside of town so that none of the people from the church would see me. And like pulled over off the side of the highway and just crashed for like eight hours in my 3000 GT, right? And I pursued intensely, but I was, I, I didn't want to come across strange or weird because I was like, it's going to be, you know, I saw one girl one time and I'm like going intense. I just want so. So there's kind of this principle, you get this with small group leading too sometimes. I have guys that I had in my small group, and I'm just trying to pursue them. I'm trying to pursue them, but I don't want to create a bunch of pressure on the situation. I just want to kind of like let things develop in my friendship with them. So I would just find some excuse to be walking by the norms. Hey man, you there? I'm just kind of walking by. Yeah, you there? Okay, sweet love. Can I come up for just a little bit? I just want to hang out, walking by. Just walking by, right? No big deal. Watch halfway across campus to just make the phone call, but you know, whatever, right? And I have a, I have a friend who had this girl that she was trying to like pursue after, and the girl worked at the subway right next to the campus. And so guess what? My friend loves now subway. And every like third day, She's in there because she knows girls working over lunch. So she's having, yeah, I'm here again. I just love Subway so much. How you doing? What's going on? Hey, we're hanging out tonight. Do anything afterwards? She got that girl in her small group. But you have to pursue intensely. Sometimes you just try to come across casually. All right. Um, it is 8 o'clock. 
I'm gonna, we don't have, we've got one, one cohort leader so far, so we're gonna keep going. Um, yeah, Peter! Way to be that one. Why is that your last slide? Let's, let's take a break. Let's take, uh, let's take five minutes. All right, crew, let's come back together. Let's come back together. We're gonna do the last 30 minutes of class here. ideas of what Jesus did in his outreach uh, to Israel. We did some, some core principles that we've extrapolated in our ministry uh, with some maxims that kind of help us remember some of those things. Um, I want to spend the last 30 minutes we've got into the real practical here. And, and you know, I told you we'd try to get practical here. So this is as practical as I can do this in outreach. And we're going to basically talk through the, one of those maxims I mentioned at the very beginning was you essentially are trying to find, fight, and feed for people. Um, and so I'm going to walk you through uh, some things with, with those three areas. So find. Here is six steps to reaching out. Now, this, this is not like hard and fast, like I can't do it any other way. Nate didn't say this. No, it's just, these are just... Uh, a baseline to work from. And I know when you're first, you know, before you innovate, emulate. And this is a, this is like a baseline outline of how you can start a conversation with somebody. So first thing, of course, I mean, I'm just going overly simplistic here, but look for somebody to talk to, right? And so that might either be just look for an opportunity to talk to a friend that you have, maybe just look for uh, mostly what we're looking here is finding. So we're really looking like, okay, freshman, beginning of the year, um, how can I strategically place myself, right? So we try to help you with some of that. It's like, hey, let's do some door movements, or let's go to the university events, or let's strategically place ourselves. I can't find freshmen. Okay, well, are you where they are, right? Or I don't, I'm now having international friends. Okay, are you going to where they are? So strategically place yourself um, or just be looking in your world, right? The thing we talk, talked about is, is we're just looking for you to be a minister in your world. That's why we do campus ministry. This is your world. We're ministering on the campus. Sometimes we go a little bit uh, smaller than that. But, but just be looking. Who can I start the conversation with? Who can I start, you know, me, I'm you know, getting bled out there at the Garth England Blood Donor Center, and I'm like, okay, there's somebody. I can pray for them. Or I can, you know, here I am, you know, they're taking my life, and I'm like, um, anyway, okay. Anyway, I'm not going to go further than that. Okay, two. Two. Start the conversation. I'm going super simple here, right? Start the conversation. You've been strategically placing yourself. You know how easy it is? I have this every year. Like, students go out there, and they're strategically placing themselves in a place, like, hanging out with freshmen, and they're doing door movements. And they just won't start the conversation. Just say something, right? Just open your mouth. That was a couple weeks ago we did that exercise, right? Just go on the plaza and just, you got two seconds and somebody's walking by, hey, nice hat. 
in the Patagonia, you're an outdoorsman, you like rock climbing, you want to go camping this weekend? Great. You know, we actually got a guy. We actually got a guy our first year because Jake Leffler walked down the hall, saw some guy say, hey, you like camping? We're going camping tonight. You want to come? Like, you know, just open your mouth and just let the Holy Spirit guide you. But um, three seconds or less, just say or ask something. Doesn't matter. It could be silly. And even if it's even if it's silly, you'll just laugh about it later. Um, <laughs> three, get them talking about themselves. Okay, get them talking about themselves. So, um, oh, what happened beginning of this semester? I'm trying to remember a couple of the conversations I started. There was there was sitting down in the cafeteria. I strategically placed myself with a small group leader. Uh, we were downstairs here in the cafeteria and during lunchtime, and we sat next to a guy, right, because Sue intends to come across casually, so we sat next to a guy that was sitting by himself. And we're just having a conversation, me and the swagger leader. And I just keep looking over on the table, and this guy is typing around on his, on his computer, and I see something like a photo in his background with like a car. And I just casually, you know, looking intensely for some excuse, and I'm like, hey, dude, nice car. Is that your car? And sure enough, it was. He had actually, he was really into cars. He had actually put his, he had, like, photoed his car on, like, a rainy day up in the mountains, and it was this little thing. So I just get him talking. Start talking about himself. I couldn't care less about cars. But guess what? I'm letting him teach me something. So I'm asking questions. Your greatest skill may very well be learning how to ask good questions. So just ask questions. Just get them talking. Everybody likes talking about themselves. That's the great thing about this. Everybody likes talking about themselves. I like talking about myself. I like it when people ask me insightful questions that I get to answer about me. Right? So do that for someone else. Um, the little narcissist in us will will bring us around to, to the Lord eventually. Um, <laughs> ask about things they're into. Um, here's the thing about asking questions. It is reconnaissance into their life, um, and it affirms value. I'm saying I value you. I don't even know you yet, but I value what you have to say. And so it's an affirmation, and it's a reconnaissance, um, because... Uh, because I am discovering something about you. I'm, I'm trying to get into, like, where are you at? Where are you at with community? Are you lonely? Are you alone? Are you by yourself? Are you friends? Yeah, you know, super popular. Are you, are you seeking the Lord? You're spiritually hungry. You're a follower of Jesus already. I'm, I'm trying to, I'm reconnaissance. It's reconnaissance. Um, this is a, an exercise. We may, and we'll actually have you guys kind of do this um, later this semester, too. But assess interest in community in Christ. Um, five questions or less, you should always be able to bring a conversation to those two things. Five questions or less, you should be able, by yourself, without ever even bringing up Jesus, just bring up Jesus in five questions or less. Or it should be so natural that you brought the conversation to that place because of the questions you've asked. You know how many times I get to somebody that's just talking about Physics, and I'm like getting into physics, and then well, what do you think is like the source of that? And what do you think? Oh, what do you think about morality? And like, what do you think the source of that is? And what do you think the purpose of life is? And also, I'm like, 
I got Jesus, and I'm not, I haven't even said anything yet. So five questions or less. I had, I had I challenged my resource group with this uh, last semester, and, and Bobby actually was going home for, I think, Thanksgiving break, like the next week, and, and he was at the airport, and, and uh, he got to like, share this with like, the resource group the next week, because he was at the airport, just sitting down, looked over, here's a guy with a CSU sweatshirt, whatever, right, he's looking, and he just starts talking to this guy, he just asks questions, the five questions, the guy brought up Jesus, right, he got, and so he got his number, and it was cool, so, get them talking about themselves, all right, four, share how you are involved in a campus ministry amongst whatever else, okay, if you ask enough questions, hopefully, um, they're eventually going to reciprocate, um, like, well, what are you into, what do you, you know, what do you show on the campus? What kind of events? What kind of groups? What kind of clubs? What kind of activities? What are your hobbies? What are your blah, 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 blah. And then eventually they'll say, well, what are you into? Don't be shy in this moment. I mean, say I'm into rock climbing and stuff. I'm also involved in this campus ministry uh, called the Outpost on campus. Um, bring it up. Here's the thing. You don't have to make every conversation you have centered on Jesus. But he needs to come up quick. He needs to come up. He's the center of your life. You need to bring him up. Right. And, and what that does, too, is if they're really not into that, if they're really not okay with him, don't waste your time. Don't waste his time or her time. Bring him up because that's who you're about. Let them know. It doesn't mean that you have to then, like, you know, have a dissertation on, you know, your concepts of, of eschatology and whatever, it doesn't matter. Just bring him up and then assess. We'll get to that next. But share how you're involved in the campus ministry amongst whatever else. Um, uh, assert it. You know, sometimes people just don't have the social intelligence to really, like, reciprocate. They're a little more narcissistic, you know, and, and they're just like, yeah, I like talking about myself. I'm just going to talk about myself all day and I don't care what, you know, about you. But, but eventually just, like, bring up, well, I'm really into like this, that, and the other, and bring it up. It's not bad. It's not inappropriate. But you're also assessing their reaction to Christ. When you bring up Christian community or Christ or whatever, assess. You're in your spirit. You're saying, okay, what's this, what's this guy's or this gal's reaction? Are they like, oh, yeah, it's so cool. I've been looking for, or they're like, oh, okay, I'm going to try to find an excuse to get out of this conversation, right? Assess where they're at. <coughs> Five. If you haven't gotten them talking about Jesus in question th or step three, right, you can skip this if you if you can skip this step if you've already gotten to the God conversation in step three. But if you haven't gotten to the God conversation in step three, and you bringing up you're in a Christian community is is actually um, an an introduction to the the God conversation instead of a response like them talking about God. In step three, if they start talking about God, then you, you still do step four. You're like, well, I'm actually part of a campus ministry. Um, you, you, know, you have any history with Christian community or anything like that. But in step five, if you haven't gotten there already, ask a God question. Ask a God question. Just say, um, do you have, well, just that. Do you have history with Christian community? That's Use your own words, I don't care. It doesn't have to be that one. But, but just, so here's, here's the interaction so far. Here's the interaction so far. Hey, man, 
I like that uh, picture of your of that car there. Is that your car? Yeah, it's my car. Well, that's cool. That's a pretty nice photo. Yeah, I had a buddy that was in photography take it up. Why well, are you really into cars? Cool. Um, what else are you into? On we go. What are you into? Well, I'm into uh, a bunch of things. I really I love sports. I love backpacking and uh, some of that kind of stuff. I, I'm also part of a campus ministry here at Colorado State. Um, do you have any history with the Christian community or have you ever heard of the Outpost? Um, the guy. No, I, I'm really not into that. Well, that's okay. What are your thoughts on God? Oh, I don't know. So, so. <laughs> yeah, I know. It was really funny, but it was actually really helpful. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So here's, yeah, and then, you, I mean, this is like a 30-minute conversation. You know, you, it gets into all kinds of nuance, and then you go on the rabbit trails and stuff like that. But here, just, this is just as tangible as I can get for you to take some steps. Now, you've, you've gone there, and now you've asked the God question, if you haven't already. Step six, assess what to do next. Assess what to do next. So you've thrown out the God question, or they've brought it up, and you've brought up that you're part of campus ministry, and, and from there, you are assessing, up until this point, you're assessing where they are at with God and with community. Um, you need to always have a plan for what's next. Okay, so now, this is fine. This is fine. Let's talk fights, okay? And and we're just going to jump into here. Um, fights. If if they um, if they seem like hey, this is this is a guy in my class. Him and I have like a ton of things in common. We're just hitting it off. He does, he seems like he has like a billion friends, but and he's and he's okay with Jesus, but. You know, he, he wasn't like you know super into that. You start you start where they where they want what they want. You start with what they want and you push to what they need. Okay, so they want to hang out with you, right? They, they like you. You hit them off. You like them. You just got this chemistry. And things are going well, right? You want they want you. Um, going why go into what they want and then push to what to what's next. Um, Generally, you don't want this to be highly structured. You just kind of like, this. these are just core principles. But I'm giving you a baseline to work from, right? Don't be so rigid that you're like some kind of robot or something. But these are just core common principles that we experience time and time again. So they want you pursue. This is where we get into the principle that we talked about, right? Pursue them. If you can, pursue them with your community. Because the thing, the thing that you're going to do is you're going to you, know, you want to push them here, and then from here, both of these circles are going, hopefully, to naturally go to him, right? Your community, if all you do is talk about girls and sports and whatever, we haven't figured out how to have that triune relationship yet with each other. But the community is loving the Lord and you're loving the Lord, and so he needs to be coming up. So you're pushing him, but what he probably has got a lot most is community, and through your relationship and the community's relationship with him, you're gonna be able to start really just sharing the love of Christ. You brought up the Lord, he knows what you're about, now we're going into that. So start with where they want, pursue them. Bring community with you. Get money, get your resource leader, get your money, your other cohort guys or gals, 
And we're like, hey, can we go hang out with this guy? Uh, he's going on rock, rock climbing this afternoon. I just need like, somebody to come with me. And, and you know, Brent and I would do this in Russia. Well, it's, just a, it's just been a common example that has stuck with me. But like, him and I would go play basketball with all these guys. Nobody wanted Jesus. But they all knew we were, what we were about. So we'd go play basketball because they loved Brent or me. And, and we even had like, like, they were designated. It was so funny. There was only like four names for guys in Russia. And uh, so, so we would classify them like, well, that's Nate's Dima, that's uh, Brent's Dima, right? That kind of thing. So we go hang out with these guys because they wanted us and they learned to love the community. Um, but then Brent and I would just talk about the Lord over dinner afterwards, or we would just ask a question to each other about how things are going. So we're bringing community into their world. Um, or maybe they want, uh, maybe they want Jesus, right? Well, you got that. Christian student is just afraid they're going to lose their faith because now they're in college and they're looking for community. They're, they're already looking to like love Jesus. Um, you know, go there, go there intensely. Don't be passive. Love Jesus with them. Go there. Go to what they want. They want to love Jesus. Love Jesus with them. Don't be ashamed. Don't be afraid. Don't be shy about it. Um, and then you know, push them into small group or large group, those structured things, but you're trying to intensely invite them into the community. I was talking to the small group leaders this afternoon about some of this, and one of the girls said, the thing that got me, she came into college as a Christian, and she got she met a small group leader, and the small group leader would take her into the community, say like a large group or something, and she would start a conversation um, with somebody else, and then the small group leader would leave, to let this girl like try to interact, but she was the small group leader was always keeping an eye on her because when the small group leader realized the conversation was getting kind of like winding down or getting boring or like they were kind of awkwardly like I don't know what to, the small group leader would quickly come back, grab her small group girl, and walk her over to another circle of friends and introduce her, and she would walk away up to something else, right? And so she was pushing her into interactions, like connections, creating connections with the community, and you are the means of. And she said, you know, the thing that drew her in was that, was this sense of, like, she was being tethered into the community. She loved Jesus. She had this relationship with a small group leader. The small group leader was pushing her, being tethered into the community. Um, and through that, she fell in love more and more with the small group leader. So she would come in from here, tether her to the community. That was how I built my biggest small group, for sure, was I just, guys knew if they hung out with me, I was going to introduce them to so many people. Freshmen are just like, I'll go get for friends. I'm like, I'll introduce you to so many friends. And guess what? They fell in love with me because I was their means to community, right? So push them there, they'll fall in love with you. If they, uh, you know, maybe if they want community, <coughs> they want community, but they're like, they're, ah, I'm okay with Jesus. Yeah, I'm not sure about you yet. But, um, you know, they want community. Give them community. And start with what we call third space, which is basically just space that is non-threatening. Hey, it's, it's space that I, isn't my world and it isn't your world, but it's something we're doing together. It's something that like, because of the two of us together, we're doing this thing. Um, and it's just, hey, we're going camping. And it's like going to snow tomorrow night and it's gonna be horrible, but it's gonna be awesome. You want to come, right? You know, it's just like, I'm not going to do this without you. 
And you're not going to do this without me, but together we're going to make this memory, right? Invite them into Thursday, spring the community around them. Um, you know, be intentional, first, to always bring up the Lord. Um, but, um, yeah, but push them in that place where they start, you know, maybe third space, and then, and then structured community time. Um, and with that, honor them. Honor is probably the biggest way that you can bind people's hearts to you, and you can bind your heart to them. Think honoring thoughts of them and elevate what, who they are in the Lord in your own eyes and in the eyes of them. I was talking to, to one of my small group leaders about his small group leader and what about his small group leader transformed his life about his discipleship method. And he said it was all about honor. Like my small group leader kept telling me things about myself that I didn't know or believe. But he kept telling them to me. And he kept speaking them over me. And you see, for the longest time, this guy was loved, this small group leader. And he couldn't have cared less about the community. And he didn't know very much about Jesus. But over time, this small group leader fell in love with both of the others because because of the community. So they want community, push them in the community, honor them, they'll fall in love with you. The community and you together will serve Jesus. All right, does that kind of broadly kind of make sense? Okay, kind of give you sort of a framework. Um, <coughs> what, about, what about if they don't want Jesus? You brought up Jesus in your conversation and uh, they're having none of it. So they don't want him. What do you do? Alright. This one's this one's gonna happen. How many of you guys know that? This one's gonna happen. Um, if they don't want God, um, you're trying to assess. Um, their desire for community. Their desire for community, okay? Um, if it's low, so if you got low and low, right, that's just, that's just kind of a bad combo, to be honest. But if you got low and low, they don't want Jesus, they don't want community. Here's your, here's your strategy. Again, let the Holy Spirit lead. None of these principles are beyond his guidance in the moment, but here's just some words of advice. Minister right now. You need to minister right now. There's values are created from experience, right? And they don't want Jesus. They want Jesus, right? That's what we talked about the first hour. They want Jesus. They just don't know it's Jesus that they want. <clears throat> and, they're, and they don't have any desire for the community. And so you're not going to be able to have that thing where you and the community are, are intentionally just loving Jesus in front of these people. So your only chance is you've got to minister right now and give them an experience with God that changes that perception in the moment. Okay? So you get to this moment. You just have to minister right now. Just, you know, pull off the gloves, no holds bar. Hey, 
Can I pray for you? Can I share a word with you? Ask the Lord to give you a word, right, for somebody. Just, just go there. Be bold. But minister. Because it's in that place they need to have an experience with God if there's any chance. Nothing is going to happen naturally through the community. You've got to go there right now. Um, if, if uh, let's say they're open, so they're kind of, I'm going to run out of space real quick, but they're open to community. They're not like hungry for community, but they're kind of, yeah, yeah, I'm okay. Um, they're not against it. They're not antagonistic towards it. Um, you're probably best bet Still minister right now. Still look to the minister right now. Um, but invite, have, um, but think through that, that metric of what can I invite them to? What's a third space non-threatening context? Okay. What's a third space? Um, I need to minister now. I need to grow that desire. Um, and I need to give them an opportunity to interact with the community in a way that will be non-threatening. So what's that non-threatening context? And make sure it's clear. If you're like, I've got this small group, Bible study, visionizing, we're doing faith together thing tonight. I would love to have you come. Guess what? They ain't coming. Hey, there's my, my pastor is a great preacher. And he's going to be sharing from the word tonight. We're going to have a great time. Guess what? They're going to but find that context, find that space. Okay. Yes. In that example, yes. Are they low on the don't want God scale or the low yes. on the God scale? Yes. Um, yeah. This one. This one. Basically, if they're above this, they're okay with God. They kind of fall into that circle I was just showing. Okay. 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 This one is the most common issue that we find where they don't want God or they don't want community. And I'm just kind of working spectrum-wise this way. Does that make sense? Okay. Um, if they're looking for community, okay, they're looking. We, get, we got this a lot at the beginning of the semester. Right? We find like transfer students. They're like juniors and they're like, I know nobody and I'm just got here like 10 hours ago. Um, and But they don't want God. They're just not into him, that kind of thing. Um, now, always minister now if you feel like the Lord guides you. I'm, I'm not in any way trying to minimize that as a, always a go-to. But, but maybe a good option is ask questions. Why? Because questions, ask questions about the thoughts of God. Don't, don't try to challenge it because the best challenge to that is going to be in community over time. So maybe you don't have to go there immediately. Let that, let that be intentional in the community, but ask good questions. Start to probe that. Start to push that. You need to go there. They need to know you're about Jesus. But honor them. Honor their perspective. Do the reconnaissance of all the questions asked. And so ask good questions, and then, again, invite um, into third space. Okay? So just so you're, you're not necessarily trying to minister right now. I'm going to try to, like charge you or challenge you or you know I, I do that sometimes I get these guys down here I don't necessarily have a word from the Lord or there's nothing I can find to pray for for them so I'm just like I just challenge them like dude 
I just want you to think about this. I know you think that God is stupid and, and physics answers everything. But let me tell you about this. If that's true, then there is no meaning. And everything you told me about the meaning of your life is, is irrelevant to a subjective. Right? I'm going to push a little bit, right? So, but I'm not going to try to push here right now. Because I think if I can minister, if I can pray for him, yeah, pretty soon I'll always do that. But I'm not going to necessarily try to charge them, challenge them right now. Because I think if I can get them into the community, then that is going to happen more organically, more naturally, more in, in the safety and honor the community creates. Okay, then uh, lastly, if they are, if they're just straight up lonely, okay, they're just straight up lonely. Um, this, and I'll be honest, this is your best, this is your best hope. Um, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not trying to be, you know, whatever, but you've got to fill a need and not just a need. You've got to feel what we call a felt need. You, they have to feel something that they want, not just something they need. Everybody needs Jesus. The problem is, is they don't feel that. So you gotta find it. The more you can find a need that you can fill, the, the better chance you've got. So if they if they're just straight up like, man, I just I came from, you know, who knows where, and I know nobody, and I'm a little shy or introverted, and I just am lonely. Um, I would just start with invite. Um, and then just be intentional. Um, again, third space. But in that community, just be intentional. Um, and this is always true, but we'll just be, highlight that, intentional to minister to them and love the Lord in that space. Okay. So I wouldn't even, I wouldn't worry about challenging them or charging them or going too far. I mean, bring up the Lord so you need to know you're about the Lord. But just, once that's happened, just move on to emphasizing the community. Dude, we have this, I have these guys, this guy has this exact same hobby or exact same interest as you, I'd love to introduce you. Um, we're gonna be hanging out this weekend, just playing games at my place if you'd like to come. Um, and in that space, start to ask questions. In the safety of that environment, in that place where you're feeling that needs that they're feeling, um, then start to really minister. The thing that sometimes guys will do is they'll do that. I've seen a lot of guys go here without first bringing up the Lord. And that's where it becomes like a bait and switch thing. And it just, it just never feels right um, overall. But and sometimes it works, honestly, I'll be honest. Sometimes it works. Sometimes it's okay because they're all right. But I think if it's okay, they're going to be okay with that anyways there. Bring up the Lord. Bring up the community. Let them know what they're walking into. But then, but don't emphasize it as like, Hey, guess what? This is what you know, I'm going to make you feel as uncomfortable as possible because I believe in this. Just, just bring up the Lord and then move on to inviting into like third space and let them be let that be intentional from there. Does that make sense? Okay, it is basically nine. I'm going to wrap up here. Any, um, remember, you're always looking to create a kingdom connection, drawing them closer to you. Or your God. And always both in short order. Um, the third, the third 
area is feeds. And feeds, we're going to get to more um, later this semester as we start talking more about one-on-ones um, or discipleship in other contexts. Um, but, but just remember from the stuff that we talked about with Jesus, your goal is to do life with them, or if, if not possible, do life to at least in your discipleship to bring them into your life, into components of your life. And we talked about that a few weeks ago. What are the major components of your life? Inviting them into that space to experience that. Um, because my friend Robinson, you know, what transformed him wasn't another sermon. He had heard those all his life. It was when he saw the life of that person giving the sermon outside of that context and realizing just the authentic, vulnerable lifestyle of this person. So invite people into your life. Don't just preach at them on your small group or weekly meeting or whatever, all that stuff. Um, do life. Structure, and we'll get to some of that, but structure is helpful. Don't be afraid of structure. <coughs> people are busy. We get that. Um, but structure should never, structure helps us in creating intentionality, but it should never be getting in the way of relationship. Right? Relationship is the goal. Relation, you know, as, as a few weeks ago, I'm talking about the, that passage in John that just keeps freaking me out. Jesus said, may they be one as we are one. If the people that you are ministering to can't try to have that kind of relationship with you as their discipler, who can they have it with? Who are they going to model that kind of kingdom principle with? So model that kind of intimacy, dependence, and, and togetherness um, as, as you see in everything to do that, to draw them to you and to your God. And as you are constantly, daily, looking for opportunities to minister to people in those ways, you will find you'll have people in your life and you'll be able to prioritize those people, drawing them closer and closer into your relationship with you and your God as they desire that. And as that desire grows, as they have that desire, you know, the weekly meeting will just be a natural fruit of a lifestyle that is constantly seeking to minister, to love people, and to invite people to be loved by your God. Does that make sense? Okay. All right, guys. Have a great week. Remember, Wednesday and Thursday, we'll be doing on-campus stuff. Yep. And, uh, yeah.